Welcome to Life Church of Mobile's audio podcast. We hope this teaching will challenge you in any season of life you may be in. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll enjoy. So it's 2019. My family and I have been here for almost five years now. And now I'm going to tell you a quick story. So my, my wife said, I have this house to show you. And we were looking for a house at the time. And so she takes me on this dirt road in the middle of the country. And when I say country, I mean Smith Young Road off of Newman Road, if you guys are familiar with the area. My next door neighbor has a horse ranch, and, and there's cows, and we get horses that come in my lawn every once in a while to fertilize it. It's great. So my wife stumbled upon this house. I have no idea where she found it. And we're in the middle of nowhere, and, and I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. And for people who've been in my house, they know that. They, they wonder why. They, they would hike on me and why my car was so dirty, but then they come to my house, and they're like, I get it. I understand, dude. I live one mile and a half in, on this private dirt road. And um, so the first time my wife took me on there, we're probably 50 feet driving in this road, and the city boy came out of me real quick. Listen, when I moved to Orlando from New York, I thought that was the country. I thought Orlando was the country. And so I'm like, this, this is crazy. And so the city boy and me started, you know, the, the gears started turning. And, and I'm looking at my wife thinking in my head, man, what did I do wrong to her? Like she's, she's, she's leading me somewhere. She's going to leave me somewhere where I don't want to be left. And um, I'm joking. <laughs> and so we, we go check this house out. It's a small house. Um, it's on a good decent amount of land. And I loved it. We fell in love with it real quick. And so as we're walking through the house and, you know, my wife, she was into this whole tiny house thing at the time. Were any of you guys into that phase? I'll pray for you later. Um, so my wife was on that tiny house kick. She's like, yeah, we just need a, a, a 80 foot house. That's it. Just 80 foot square feet. I'm like, you can stay there by yourself. <laughs> no, nah, it's not that small. But we, I'm like, look, baby, you got to meet me in the middle. I'll stay in a small house, but I, I can't do tiny houses. And so we did a small house. And so I'm walking around this area, and then I go in the backyard, and I'm like, man, we could play football. We could play baseball. And then I see this tree in the backyard. It's this, the ugliest tree I've ever seen. It's super uh, thin, and it's one of those trees when I was a kid, I'd do this to it, and it just break. And I wanted to do it so bad, but my wife wouldn't let me. She's like, how old are you again? And so, <laughs> um, and so we, we, I think we were, it was the wintertime where we found this house, and this tree was just, it was ugly. It was ugly, it was ugly, it was bent, it was twisted. And then um, the summer came around. I'm sorry, it was uh, spring. Spring came around, and, and it was, and then I started seeing blossoms on this tree, and there was, green blood, there was green buds all over this tree. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this tree like, okay, I see you, tree. I see you. But what you going to do? Because I still want to kick you. And, and, then, and then in the summertime, it was covered with blossoms. And it smelled really, really good. It smelled sweet. Um, and it was, it was so beautiful to look at. And that mindset of kicking this tree kind of just changed now. And it was, it was actually one of the most graceful things I've ever seen. And then... When fall came, when fall came, this is, this is the game changer right here. My kids come walking in, and they're just snacking on um, this fruit, on this pear. 
And, and I'm looking at my son like, bro, did you even wash that? And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, we didn't buy any pears. We didn't buy no pears. I don't buy pears. And, and my kid's just eating it, and he's loving it. And then I realize, and, I'm, and I ask him, I'm like, where'd you get that from? He said, the pear tree. I'm like, the pear tree? What pear tree? He said, the pear tree in our backyard. Like, we don't have a pear tree in our backyard. Sure enough, it was that ugly, twisted, bent-up tree. That was, a, that was a pear tree. And so I started looking at this tree a little differently. I started looking at it a little differently. I started seeing this tree as, man, this tree is chock full of potential. It has full of life. It's, 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 it's at its fulfillment. You see, my kids have seen, and I have seen, a season of this tree's life. And, and what I learned is that you cannot judge a tree or a person by only one season. And the essence of who they are and the pleasures, the joy that comes from that life can only be measured up at the end. See, when all the seasons are up, if you give up when it's wintertime, you're going to miss the promise of your spring. Are you with me, church? You with me? You're going to miss the beauty of your summer. You're going to miss the fulfillment of your fall. So don't judge anyone's life, including your life, by one difficult season. Don't let the pain of one season destroy the rest of every other season that's to come. Church, we're going in deep. We're diving. I hope you got your little mask on and everything. We're, we're diving today. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. So some seasons are beautiful, but, but that beauty can turn ugly real quick. You see, we classify those not-so-pretty seasons as storms. That's what we classify those, those seasons in our life. We classify them as storms. And now, um, one of the, I, I've shared this with my youth, and, and I just feel like it's a, it's a staple to Christianity, what I'm about to share with you guys. And, and I feel like you all need to hear this. So, what if Jesus never calmed the storm in that one beloved story that we love so much? What if he never got up and said, be quiet, be still, and the storm never quieted? In Mark 4, 35, 41, it says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping in the cushion. I love that. I love that. Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. And I love how they put the word cushion in there. Because you can, just by reading it, you can tell he was comfortable. He was comfortable. No matter what was going on around him. Oh, he was, he was comfy. He was Gucci. He was comfy. I'm sorry. I got to throw on my millennial every now and then. So... <laughs> The disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And then they started to ask each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
You see, Jesus and his disciples are, they're, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee when the storm rolls in. The waves threaten to sink the boat. Jesus is asleep. Asleep. How is he asleep at such a time as that? Terrified, the disciples wake him and ask, do you even care that we might be killed? Jesus gets up. Tells the wind and the waves to be still. And then asks the disciples, why are you so afraid? See, naturally, they're full of wonder at this whole event, just like you would. If we were in that boat and we saw what happened, we would all be full of wonder. But Jesus is rather chill about the whole thing, isn't he? You see, they will obey so that he has no cause for concern. He was chill and unfazed because Jesus knows the Father's plan. Jesus knew that he can calm the water and the storm. So why in the world would he need to get up in a frantic uh, frenzy and just say, oh my gosh, we're going down. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. So he had no cause for concern, but I find an amazing truth that follows after the storm. When they do arrive on the other side, who are they met with? Immediately, they're met with a man who is possessed by many demons. Immediately, the moment they got off and touched land, they got this guy that was possessed by legions of demons came up to him, all smeagle like, and just, and, and what did Jesus do? Jesus went from being super chill to relentless. He went from chill to relentless. He had a relentless pursuit on this man. He did not give up. He didn't let up not one bit when he was talking to this man. Mm. So they're met by this possessed man. He was so strong that chains could not hold him. And everyone was afraid to pass by that way. This man was aggressive and violent. Not only that, he lived among the tombs. So therefore, he was constantly in touch with death. That's the ultimate defilement in Jewish law. Both inside and out, this man was corrupted as anyone could be. Jesus comes to the man, the one whom no one else dares approach him. If this man was alive in this day and age right now, the first thing a lot of us would do instead of going to reach and pray for this man, we're we're doing this. Because that's what the world teaches us. That's what the world shows us. This man's acting a fool. Let me not do nothing but just videotape him and put it on there and make him look crazy. Jesus and his disciples. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. So the disciples are looking at Jesus. Just come to this man and I... I can only imagine what they were thinking at that time. And, and the word relentless, man, oh, I love that word. It means persistent, continuing, constant, continual, continuous, nonstop, never ending, unabating, interminable, incessant, unceasing, endless, unending, unremitting, unrelenting, unrelieved. The list goes on and on. For Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? 
My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. See, he's on the offensive. Earlier, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. See, he's not just making an idle suggestion. He moves with purpose. Knowing that the other side of the lake of the sea is a battleground, he will go and confront the servants of his enemy and he will be victorious. And he knows that. He will be victorious. So while they are crossing, no matter how fierce the wind was or the size of the waves, Jesus is unfazed. He's not confronting the enemy in the storm. Rather, the enemy lies on the other side of it. Are you with me? There is nothing to fear on the water. You see, the more and more I read this story, the more and more I start to realize that the storm was never the point of the story. You see, storms threaten to sink our faith. And, I'm, and, and these are like, you know, everyday inconveniences like a flat tire and um, you got a, a hangnail or you got a, a piece of wood in your, your finger. No, no. These are the difficulties that cause us to question God's goodness. Prolonged illness, the death of a loved one, a loss of purpose, a marriage that is destroyed um, beyond repair, or so you think. And it seems like God is asleep. If he really cared, if he really understood, then surely he would stop this from happening, right? How many times have we said that? You see, we pray for healing and we pray for relief, for opportunity, for reconciliation, for anything that will make this storm pass. See, what I see in this story, however, is that the storm is not the point. The storm is real and it's it is terrifying. The disciples believe that they will not survive. The disciples thought they were going to die. But the point is not about surviving the storm. The point is about who's in the boat with them. You see, Jesus can calm the storms in our lives. Yep, that's great. And I believe that 100%. And I myself have been encouraged by that knowledge. But Jesus didn't come to calm the storms. He came to save souls. Jesus didn't come to give Giovanni a comfortable life. He came to defeat death. And you see, that's not an easy path. But Gio, but Gio, you say, oh, what about casting my cares on God? Doesn't God care that I'm suffering? Yes, of course he does. Yes, you're his children. He loves you. (laughs) Humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see, we often talk about casting our anxieties on him. But how much do we hear about humbling ourselves before him? How much do we hear about humbling ourselves under his mighty hand? You see, the two things are linked in the passage. Casting our cares on him, according to this verse, it's not simply a desire uh, to, to avoid unpleasant circumstances but rather a submission to whatever circumstances God may bring into your life simply because they are from God. You see, the Apostle Paul, he says this in 1 Timothy 12, and this is referring to the calling on the Apostle's life and the hardship that goes with that anointment, which 
which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You see, Paul is not in denial about suffering. But his faith in Jesus is unshakable, no matter what happens to him. You see, the storm is about a battle. And, I, and please, by no means, I am not trying to diminish anyone's suffering. I'm not saying you can't uh, cry out to Jesus about the storms in your life. He does, after all, calm the storm, doesn't he? You see, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about your problem. It's that your problem is not going to sink your boat. Jesus doesn't say, let's go out into the middle of the ocean and just die. He doesn't just say, you know what? Um, oh, man, all this preaching got me real tired, and uh, I'm just going to fall asleep. Let's take a little cruise. Let's go to the Cayman Islands. Let's go chill. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He has a destination in mind and a soul to save. He has a battle to fight. Church, I promise you we're getting somewhere. See, storms are scary. I know. I know what it's like to feel like you cannot survive. I know what it feels like to to, to feel like God doesn't care. I know what it feels like to, to feel like death is preferable over the situation and circumstances that you're in. Amen. I know what it is to feel useless. I know what it is to feel helpless and hopeless. And that, if, if, if that's how you're feeling right now, take courage. Take courage. See, Jesus doesn't take people out into the middle of the ocean to drown them. He takes people across the sea so that they can follow him. He doesn't stand afar to do this. No, no, no. He enters into the darkness. He enters into the evil. He enters into the suffering of this world. And he transforms it from within. You see, if we're following him, if we're following him, this is physics now. If I'm following somebody, I'm walking in every direction this person is going. Am I right? I, honestly, I don't feel like Jesus is walking into Chuck E. Cheese on a good day. He's with that kid that's rummaging through the trash. He's with your kid that's hooked on drugs. He's in that brothel with those people who are getting prostituted. He is in the most darkest, ugliest places you will never think about going into. He's in those uncomfortable places. Man, I hope y'all not comfortable. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to understand who this is. We need to understand who is asleep in this boat with us. See, the storm is not where you face the enemy. The storm is where you face the Father. It's in adversity. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when we will see the true power of God in our lives. You see, my family, they they turn up a lot. 
my family turned all the way up. And uh, just to be clear for my people who have no idea what I'm talking about, um, turn up. Getting wild or excessively crazy. Now you know what turn up means, guys. But they turn all the way up. And I remember every time I'd get around them, I'd be the same. I'd, I'd go back to where, who I used to be. And I'd fall into that same trap. But then I finally realized who was in the boat with me. And then in doing that, I became free from myself. And if I'm free from me, I'm free from you. You see, I too have cried out to God, save me from the storm in my life. And he didn't. He didn't. The storm raged on and, and on and on until I reached the other side. I saw his power over the storm in a different kind of way. I began to understand how he was using the storm to transform my life, to confront the evil and corruption that was in me. You see, I used to see myself as simply as one of the disciples, scared that I was going to die. And then I started looking. The more and more I read, I started really digging deep and just saying, you know what? I'm just like that man that's possessed by demons. But by no means, I'm not possessed by any demon. I promise you. At least, I, no, I'm not. I'm not. Praise Jesus. I was never possessed. Um, but I was definitely full of sin and corruption. I was, I was plagued by the wrong ideas about God. I was plagued about the wrong ideas of his love and even about myself. And those things kept me from pursuing God as fully as I should. And then here was Jesus coming through the storm to rescue me. You see, I was conformed through the storm. Relief from the storm is not the best thing that can happen to you. I promise you. The best thing that can happen to you is to be conformed to the image of Christ while in the storm. You see, the enemies can use, the enemy can use the storm to make us anxious, to make us afraid, to make us hurt. I mean, there was a situation that happened to my family where if this would have been a couple years back, we would have crumbled. I probably would have fell back into alcohol addiction and drugs. I'm just being honest with y'all. Can I be real with y'all? So almost two years ago now, we get a phone call from my father in, in Orlando. And my dad, is, he's, he's letting me know, hey, your cousin, your baby cousin, she's 23 years old. She's not looking so good. So I'm like, okay, what, what does that mean? And he's like, well, she's, she's in ICU right now. And, and I think you might need to come over here. And my initial, thing, my initial reaction was, let's get packed up and... And not just go hang out with my family, but I got to go over there to pray for her. And so we pack up, we drive. And and when we get there, it was a day later, she passed away from lupus on Mother's Day. And we're just consoling my aunt and everyone's frantic. And um, and, and the the great thing about that was she was uh, she wasn't able to talk when she was alive, but I held her hand and. And I asked her to squeeze two times if she wants to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And she squeezed, she squeezed two times really hard. And I prayed for her. She accepted Jesus on her deathbed at 23 years old. And so then less than 10 hours later, 
Oh, um, um, just give you a quick backstory. So when we first came here, the first year, the second year we lived in Mobile, I had asked my wife, uh, I did the unthinkable. I said, hey, babe, you should ask your parents to come live with us. <laughs> well, she's an only child. All she knows is her parents. And I wanted, I wanted, uh, I wanted, I wanted the grandparents to be with the grandkids. And so I was like, you know what? I'll take that on the chin. But I loved it because her, my, my mama's cooking is amazing. Um, <laughs> and so, just that being said, and so we are uh, we're, we're looking at pictures in my aunt's house, and we're we're going over pictures for the funeral and what we're gonna present to the. Uh, to the, the funeral home, and then I get a phone call. My, 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 my sister gets a phone call from my wife, and, and my sister's face turns white, turns pale. She says, you need to go home. Our house, we have the same house in the same neighborhood as my grandparents in, in Orlando. And so I quickly ran to my house, and I get inside, and my wife is on her knees yelling at the ceiling. And then we just got a phone call saying that my father-in-law is lying dead in my living room floor in Mobile in less than 10 hours. And I, I, I couldn't grasp it fully. And um, I actually had my first anxiety attack, which I thought I was having a heart attack because of it. And, uh, and it was a, it was, it was a hard, hard, hard storm. But uh, you see... In the storm, we were looking for a way out of the storm rather than looking for a way through the storm. You see, God used that storm to make us fearless, to make us secure, steadfast. Papa turned what could have been a massive tragedy into a great victory. Are you with me, church? God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. No matter what storm you're going through, you're going to make it as long as you look for a way through and not a way out. See, Jesus can calm the storms in your life. But even if he does not, you can trust that he will uphold you. You can believe that he will transform you. And you can know that he loves you. God has turned the storms in my life into platforms and allowed me to share my faith with you guys. Amen. See... Usually after, Katie, can you come up here? She, around here? Let me get my good friend Katie up here. She's awesome. She's awesome. So usually after big storms that last a couple of days or, or rage just for a couple of hours, um, it leaves a lot of debris behind, right? It leaves a lot of debris. And, and if it's raining really hard, which it does all the time, there's overflow. In the streets, overflow with water. You see, we just talked about storms, but what comes after the storms is just as important as finding a way through the storm. 
See, God has been tugging on my heart lately with a word, and I feel like it's a word of, of 2019 for this body. And it won't just impact Life Church. It won't just impact the great city of Mobile. But I feel it in my gut. I feel it in my spirit that it's going to impact this country. And it's going to impact more countries than we can think of. And that word is overflow. Overflow. We haven't even been here for more than a year. And, and I have noticed and I've sensed this in my spirit that there is a fresh hunger that has recently been released in Life Church. A, drowning, a, a drawing of his spirit that has been turned all the way up to call us closer. It's the wooing of the bridegroom calling out for his beloved bride. And it's the bride that is preparing herself and making herself ready. Overflow. Life Church, overflow. This holy hunger is a passion for Jesus and a desire for more of him. And it's coming upon believers and non-believers alike. It's a burning to know God and who, he, and who we are in him. And bringing about the manifestations of the sons and daughters of God who are rising into the fullness of their destiny. Through the asking of more. That's it. Asking for more. Father, more. 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 Overflow. More. More. The good news is that God has not left us as orphans. And our daddy will give us what we ask for. We are promised that he has filled the hungry with good things. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. He will fill the very places where we cry out for more of him to reside and occupy this place. See, God often speaks to me through music. And Katie texted me on Friday this Tasha Cobb's uh, version of Fill Me Up. Ooh, I love me some Tasha Cobb's, man. I think she's one of the very few worship artists that get me doing this. Just saying. <laughs> and so when she sent me this song, I started doing my homework about this song and where it originated from, where it came from, because this song has such a powerful meaning to it. And then I found out it was originally written by United Pursuit and and was birthed out of a week dedicated to 100 hours of prayer in that secret place. They begin to cry out with what is now the song's chorus. Fill them up. You provide the fire, and I'll provide the sacrifice. You provide the spirit, and I will open up inside. Church, we want more.
We want more. Fill me up, God. Fill me up. see the song provides a beautiful picture of what is currently happening in the body of Christ right now God's grace is so amazing isn't it we can't even cry out for more of him without his grace and the nudging to do so his spirit that will open up us up inside but I love what the first part of the song says which is that When we provide the sacrifice, he will provide the fire. You see, it's in that place of laying down our lives. It's that place of total surrender. When we offer ourselves as a burnt offering, so all-consuming fire will come. The unquenchable fire burns up. All that does not belong. There's a storm you went through. It tore you to pieces. It tore you up. Here's a beautiful thing. The only beautiful thing about after a a category five hurricane happens is the aftermath. Everything is destroyed. But then they rebuild. And they make it stronger. And they look at what they've done wrong in the previous plan and they're like, no, we need to fix this. We need to do that. We need to add more columns. We need to do this. We need to add more reinforcement. And they build. They build. That storm has crushed you. Build. Let him build a new foundation. Let him fill you up. Let him fill you up. This unquenchable fire burns up all that does not belong. 
until his return, this is the process and pattern that has been laid out and modeled. When we cry out to be filled up and ask for more of him, as we give more of ourselves, it actually becomes this, this vortex in the spirit. And what I mean by that is, is that when we ask for more, at the same time, God is asking for more of us. And it just becomes this back and forth cry where the response is the same as the initial call. Not only that, but the, response, the responses are multiplied as they progress. More. Creating this vacuum effect so that the desires and the infillings only grow deeper and deeper and they have a greater impact on the world. This is because as we taste and see, the hunger grows deeper and deep begins to cry out. Deep. As we know, we've already received everything that pertains to life and godliness. So when we are crying out for more, it is not that we are crying out for more of what we don't have. We already have everything in and through Jesus. But we are crying out for the knowledge and revelations of what we have. So that it can be made life in the places within us that are not currently consumed by his presence. We want the fullness of who he is. The fullness of his spirit and glory to occupy, occupy every place in our body, every place in our mind, every place in our spirit. So that we can be fully manifest him in this earth. You see, when we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our spirit was changed and made new, totally perfected in him when his spirit became one with us. Our souls are still being transformed into his image. And our bodies have not yet been transfigured, so it is in these places of our soul that, and body that we cry out for the perfect one. We are asking that, All that is not of him be burnt up today. All that is not of you be burnt up. To fully consecrate ourselves to him. For it is in the place of total surrender when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That he will come and fill us. Will you rend yourself as a burnt offering today? Will you place yourself on the altar that he would be the fire? See, I believe exactly what Brother Scotty has been preaching on and touching on. I believe that it is a place of worship that the Lord is calling us to to today, today, where we fully empty ourselves that we can be filled up. This is the picture that Mary showed us when she poured out all of her through worship, her whole self, as a love offering before him. This is true worship. And it is much more than just singing and dancing, although there, that's, there's a part, that's a part of it. But worship is a lifestyle of surrender. Worship is a lifestyle. 
of surrender to him. And it is seen in everything that we do. It is seen in everything that we say. It is seen in everything that we think. So that he can be enthroned on and inhabit our praises. So he can come and rest in us and manifest through us. It's time for true worshipers to arise, church. Those who worship him in spirit and truth. Offering their very selves as a burnt offering. Noah, Abraham, Moses all offered burnt offerings as signs of their faithfulness, their thankfulness, obedience, and worship. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast. If you would like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at life-church.org. 